the destruction of Satan and his helpers, that's what this has all been about, who they are and their ultimate destruction. And so we look at the major themes tonight with this broad overview. Chapter 12, in my opinion, is probably the easiest chapter to understand. Uh, it's very straightforward. Talks about uh, the coming Messiah. Uh, comes, you know, com talks about it basically in the past tense, even though it had already happened. The coming Messiah, and Messiah comes forth. Uh, he's born. He's caught up into heaven. The, don't talk. Chapter 12 doesn't talk about his life. Doesn't talk about his ministry but talks about the fact that he came forward as promised, a male child, and that male child was caught up to God and to his throne. And uh, then the wilderness, the, if you look at chapter 12, verse number six, you find this theme over and over and over again, 1,260 days, which is a time and a times and half a time, which is three and a half years. This is three and a half years and three and a half just keeps on cycling through, I think we can dare say that the entire church age is symbolized by this 1260 days, and we'll see it symbolized in Revelation chapter 20 as a thousand years. And so we aren't to take these things literally. Uh, instead, it just tells us that the time is short, and then it tells us that the time could be long. You know, And uh, we've seen that Basically speaking, the time has been long before the Lord returns. So Satan is the main character in chapter 12. His battle takes place during this new covenant age. Look at verse number 9, if you will, please. Um, and it says, uh, but, um, and, um, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power of the kingdom of God and authority of Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And of course, Satan is the great accuser, but Christians are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Romans 8.31 what will we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? And then notice this in verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Okay, that's the question. There's the challenge. It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. And so the great accuser has been thrown down. He no longer can bring accusations against us because of the work of God and because we are God's elect and God has justified us and Jesus Christ has lived and died for us. So this is all true, but it doesn't stop the warfare from going on. Look at verse number 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Ah, that's us, by the way. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And then there's an unfortunate um, division of chapter and verse there, but we'll deal with that in just a second. So, so sometimes the victory occurs 
by our death in going to him, in martyrdom. Usually, in our case, our death occurs by living and living for Christ and seeking Christ and then eventually going to him that way. But even if it's martyrdom, the martyrs are never conquered spiritually. They give their life and they're safe and protected from the slanders of Satan. And then Satan is ultimately destroyed in Revelation chapter 20, and that's where we're heading, and we'll be there very, very soon. Now, it gets, here's where it gets a little tougher. The first beast. Look at the rest of 12, 17, and then 13, 1. It says, um, And he stood on the sand of the sea, talking about the dragon, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, ten diadem, diadems on its horn. Oh, sorry. I, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, and with ten diadems on its horn and blasphemous names on its head. Okay. So what we get here, of course, we see Antichrist getting all the publicity, as I said. So what do we do when the Antichrist comes? John wrote the book of Revelation. He should know more about this and about Antichrist than anyone else. This is what he says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it's the last hour. And then again in verse number 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. So I've used the anti motif, and others have. I'm, I didn't originate it. But the anti motif to talk about uh, the beast that arises, the second beast that arises, which is also called the false prophet. You know, so what we have here is anti Christian governments. And that takes in about every government that's ever existed. Anti-Christian governments. And, um, you know, it arises out of the sea. The sea, of course, uh, peoples. That's what the sea represents in the book of Revelation, our peoples. And so how is this characterized? Look at chapter 13, verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's another way of saying three and a half years, by the way. And it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. So that's what we see coming here. The real enemy of God is anti-Christian government. And her animus is carried out against the church. And you might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Steve. We were founded as a Christian nation. How can we say the United States is an anti-Christian government? Well, okay. You're not saying that, are you? Because you kind of see the things that are happening nowadays. And it certainly isn't always swinging in our direction and often going exactly the opposite way. And it's debatable whether we were founded as a Christian nation, but we certainly were founded on a nation of been blessed with freedoms and, and principles that were very, very good and allowed to worship more than probably any other nation on earth had been and maybe still has been. 
And the vast majority of nations on this earth, past, present, and future, or not future, but past and present, sorry, have proven to obviously be against Christ and his church. Some to the point of mockery, some to the point of harassment, some to the point of persecution, including up to death. And the beast's authority, look at verses 7 and 8 again. The beast's authority, blasphemy's name is dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven, the blasphemes them. He was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of, the, uh, in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. And so basically what we see is that those that dwell on the earth, of course, being the lost, those who dwell in heaven, being Christians, and then all worship this beast whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb before the foundation of the earth. And uh, so that's what we have going on here. The beast arising out of the sea is anti-Christian governments. But you know what? With that big mass that the governments rule over, it's out of that huge mass of humanity that God draws his elect. That's where they come from. And those that dwell on the earth become those who dwell in heaven. And the victory goes to God, and the victory goes to his people, and we are just about, I think we'll make it next week, maybe, maybe not, but the destruction of the beast is given in chapter 19. So we're heading towards the end here. But just because we're heading towards the end doesn't mean we still won't be cycling a little bit and seeing some cycles as we get into 19 and 20, and then 21 will finally be in the, the heavenly state. Now the second beast known as the false prophet, he is actually called the false prophet in the scriptures here, is chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. So let's get a picture here of what I believe is anti-Christian religion. So we have an anti-Christian government, government that, that seeks to turn people away from God. Now we have anti-Christian religion, which is religion, yeah, but it's not the true gospel, it's not the true religion. So here we are, 13, verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. Not out of the sea, but out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and spoke like a, it, all the, and uh, makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people, and by the signs that it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. One of the problems we have as we read these is we try to take it all literally. But actually we're being told things that are broader and spiritual terms like that. And so what we see happening here is a false human religion that loves to combine with government. False religion receives its power when it combines with government. And false religion can do miracles as it's allowed, if you notice, as it says there. 
and there can be great power and great persuasion in false religion. Uh, it can be so strong that uh, the people that hold to it, the fanatics, uh, are willing to die for their false religion. And that's pretty shocking when you think about it. They, they think that they're serving their God, so to speak. They die for their religion and, and wake up in Sheol, you know. And what are you going to say? I mean, that's got to be a shock when that happens. But it's false religion combined with, with um, anti-God government, anti-Christian religion. And we see so many examples of this in the Bible. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar made a literal image that his subjects had to bow before. And this is kind of where this imagery is being taken from. Uh, and um, the, he the Hebrew children, three Hebrew children refused to bow and of course were thrown into the fiery furnace. At the time of the revelation, the contemporaries reading this would have um, been experiencing this or shortly thereafter would experience this uh, where they had to engage in emperor worship and they would worship the empire, uh, emperor by burning incense to the emperor. And true Christians refused to do that and you say, well, that's so simple, just burn incense. You don't have to mean it in your heart. Just burn the incense, pretend like you're going along with the program, worship God in your heart, and, and none will be the wiser. God will be the wiser. Okay, God will be the wiser. You, we can't do that. And so, you know, demanding emperor worship is another sign of this. And there have been many ways that um, governments have joined with anti-Christian religion to force subjection to those who dwell on the earth. Just think of the horrors that are going on even tonight in Afghanistan as we speak. You know, horrible government, terribly oppressive religion that's just binding the people in horrendous ways. And um, just another example, just pick them as one example. You know, and um, these are the ones that dwell on the earth. And usually, you know, uh, we, we can even see it coming this way. I know everybody likes to talk about the mark of the beast, okay? And they like to talk about you can't buy or sell without permission of the mark of the beast. The truth of the, the fact is, I think uh, governments joined with anti-Christian religion to force subjection. And um, sometimes these people have lost their lives. And sometimes these people have lost their ability to buy and to sell. And you can see it most often in the, what they had of the trade unions of the first and second century. We'll just call them trade unions uh, so that we more understand kind of what they're like. But you could lose your job. You, you lose your livelihood. You could be cut off from society. Oh, you'd probably find some way to eke a living and, and find something to eat, you know. But... Um, you know, it was a difficult, difficult road, and still is for some. Uh, can you imagine, I'll use Afghanistan's example again. Can you imagine going to Afghanistan and standing on the street corner and beginning to preach that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father? You might get about that much out before they get you. You know, that's, that's the truth of the matter. That's, that's a good example today of what we're talking about. And again, um, we're kind of fat and lazy as Americans. I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but it's just kind of what we are. 
Uh, we've been blessed. Amen. Glad for that. But maybe you can see it a little bit in our present day cancel culture. You know, about as close as we've come in my lifetime. But it can be a thousand times worse. And even that's kind of dying out in some ways. But Christians are... A lot has usually been to be marginalized, vilified, persecuted, even executed. And um, that's what the book of Revelation is talking about. That's what happens. So we have anti-Christian government, anti-Christian religion. Now look at verse, uh, chapter 16. Flip over to 16. And you've got an outline that's helping you, I hope. Follow along. Verse number 13. And we see now the, the threefold false ones that we've already talked about. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Okay, so there's the dragon, Satan, there's the first beast, there's the second beast. Coming out of their mouth, unclean spirits like frogs. For, we don't have to wonder what they are, for they're demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole earth to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And then it breaks in. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may go about, not go about naked, and be exposed. And they assembled them at the place in Hebrew that is called Armageddon. And we'll have to wait for chapter 19 to actually see the battle of Armageddon. But uh, these three forces together with their demonic forces combine together to deceive the entire world of all those that dwell on the earth, not those that dwell in heaven. So, chapter 19 is where the false prophets destroyed. Although we will see the ministry of the devil again in chapter 20, and uh, I'm glad to tell you, we won't see Satan and his helpers again in 21 and 22, except as they're alluded to as those that are outside the gates and not allowed to enter in. That's the only way that we'll see them. And now we've been, oh, a number of weeks in Babylon. Babylon takes up so much of chapter 14, chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 18, and it's anti-Christian society. And this is the great deceiver of those who dwell on the earth. This is society as a whole. So we've seen government, we've seen religion, and now we see society, or we could call it culture, or we could call it worldview, we can call it all these sorts of things. And this is really where we live our life the most. Most of us uh, don't spend a lot of time being touched by government. Uh, we have to deal with government, of course we do. But uh, we don't really spend our entire life being touched by government. But uh, you hear the specter of um, 87,000 new IRS agents uh, being hired. And I don't know what that does to you, but it doesn't make me feel very good. I don't cheat on my taxes. I'm going to approve that by being audited four times and winning every single time. I don't cheat on my taxes. you know. But the specter of 87,000 IRS agents, and say, oh, don't worry. They won't come after you. We're going after the rich. I hope we don't see 87,000 new IRS agents. That's just my opinion. I don't think that's going to be helpful to anybody. 
and um, the specter of audits just hanging in the air. Not, not pleasant at all. And um, I'm, I'm not the only pastor. Other, other pastors have had uh, experiences like this too. I, I got audited three years in a row and proved to be right every single time. And I, had a, I was out to lunch with a man that just happened to be, I didn't even know he was this, he happened to be a, a, a tax expert. He was a Christian tax expert. And he said, I can't believe what's happening to you, you know. He said, I'll tell you what, when they audit you this year, you come and see me. And we're going to file harassment, you know, a suit. Well, I don't know if that would have ha done any good. And it didn't happen anyway, you know, so <laughs> there you go. But um, generally, we don't deal with government on a daily basis. And most people don't deal with false religion on a daily basis. Uh, the Satan is very glad to let people go unreligious, very glad to let them go about their lives, living in Babylon, unconcerned about government, except government to take care of them as best as it can, and very unconcerned about religion, except maybe nominally from time to time. Um, there are, of course, those that take their religion very, very, their false religion very, very seriously. But generally, those in Babylon are concerned with other things. They are those that dwell on the earth, and it's the culture, it's society as a whole. And so Babylon's the society of those who take the mark of the beast, which is following anti-Christian government and doing exactly what they say, even if it's wrong. Those that dwell on the earth, it's those that dwell on the earth instead of dwelling in heaven. And Babylon is not individuals, it's the collective of society. And it's very much in touch with our life because we live in Babylon even though we are not of Babylon. Babylon's concerned with the pursuits and pleasures of this life. Look at chapter 17, verse 4. The woman, talking about Babylon, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Okay. This is Babylon. You and I live in Babylon. The United States is Babylon. Mexico's Babylon. Canada's Babylon. China's Babylon. I mean, this is anti-Christian society. And we are strangers and pilgrims living in this present world system. This is probably where I part company with, with my post-millennial friends who I have a lot of sympathies with. But they're looking for the day when Babylon will be no more on this earth. And I really think Babylon's destroyed along with other, the other helpers of Satan. So I don't look for a day where the world is converted. It would be nice. And if you are post-millennial, and, and my former co-pastor was post-millennial, and I loved him very much, and, and he loved me very much, and <laughs> we got along just great because so many of the things are the same. But, uh, you know, I'm looking for the coming of Christ, not for the coming of a worldwide uh, system. So I'm a millennial. A millennial is my point of view, which separates us from post-millennial, which says the world will be Christian before 
Christ returns. Not every single person, but society as a whole. Babylon basically would have to cease to exist and uh, pro-Christian governments would exist. And I'm not sure there is a pro-Christian government on the face of the earth anywhere. I didn't think about that till right now, but it kind of escapes me if there is one, you know. Attempts have been made. They haven't lasted very long. And they've often ended in disaster themselves. Well, as we go on from here, with strangers and pilgrims living in this present world system of Babylon, she has gifts to give and distractions to draw people away if she can, and she would love to draw us away from even thinking about God if she could. Look at 17 verse 15. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So, you know, basically, um, and then it goes on. Well, I'll stop there because I don't want to just keep on going with that. That's what Babylon is. Society as a whole, touching where we all live. And we must never be comfortable in Babylon because she's the great prostitute that seeks to seduce us away from God by her beauty. Look at 18, verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you partake in her sins, lest you partake in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And then it goes on with the rest of the, the voice of destruction. So we live in Babylon, and... Uh, you know, sometimes when the judgment of God falls, it, uh, it affects us all, you know, it affects us all. But uh, the judgment of God, when it falls, is pointed towards Babylon and those who dwell on the earth. And we must never be comfortable in Babylon. And Babylon is characterized by 1 John 2.16, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And that's Babylon. Babylon's a liar. Babylon's a horrendous liar because she promises so much pleasure. But Satan is cruel, a cruel taskmaster. Think about the wickedness of Satan. Uh, Some people live their lives in wretched poverty and misery, hungry and dirty and living in shacks and and just, you know, just talk about the terrible, terrible situations that are worldwide. Satan is a cruel taskmaster. You have those people, and they dwell on the earth, they live in misery, and they die to greater misery. That's a terrible thing if you think about it, you know. And then there are a few that Satan and Babylon allow to have happiness for a season, but it's going to come to destruction because Babylon always falls. Be assured of it. Babylon will eventually destroy herself. She will fall. And one day Babylon will fall to never rise again. And that'll be again at the end. But notice verse 21 of Revelation 18. And then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea. Jeremiah 51, by the way, you can read that chapter, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. So, you know, many subjects enjoy Babylon and all. Others live their life in misery and die in misery. 
Satan is a cruel taskmaster, even to those that take the mark. So we see the mark of the beast, the willing alliance of those who dwell on the earth with anti-Christian government, which is often promoted openly by anti-Christian religion and makes up the society of those who dwell on the earth and call Babylon home. So we are in Babylon, but not of Babylon. We live with those who dwell on the earth, but we as Christians are those who dwell in heaven because our citizenship is in heaven with the Lamb, with the heavenly host, with those who are part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's where we'll be next time, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and talking about what that has to do. And depending on how long it takes to talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb, we'll then go directly into Armageddon. But it's kind of interesting that, again, we see a non-chronological order here. You know, uh, I won't tell you how the dispensational um, scheme works things through. Uh, they've got their own massive problems as they deal with this. But uh, we just have to see, you know. We have the second coming of Christ, the destruction that is Armageddon. We see the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we should see as the beginnings of all the promises that are given to us uh, as those that are in Christ for all eternity. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we're going to have to go right back into chapter 20 and see one more recapitulation of, of all these things that take place before we finally come to the new heavens and the new earth. And so, in reality, the marriage supper of the Lamb that we'll find in chapter 19 is the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth that are fully and finally revealed in chapter 21. So that's where we'll be next week. And uh, I hope you just keep this guide as you read through the book of Revelation on your own. It can be helpful for you just to remember who the major players are and who we're talking about. And in the midst of all of it, and I didn't even touch on this, but to just remember that in the midst of all of this, with these major players that we're talking about, these four major players that are outlined there for you, is the wrath of God coming upon them. Chapter 15, chapter 16, the seven bowls of God's wrath, which are his final plagues that he gives. So it breaks in one more time like that. Okay. Well, that's a lot and a little. Hope that helps you. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Some of it easier to understand, some of it harder to understand. And we don't pretend to understand the book of Revelation perfectly. For until the end comes, and until the fulfillments have come, then we will know perfectly how it was all to be laid out. One of the reasons we can see chapter 12 so clearly is because it has already happened. And so we're living in the midst of the very end of it with Satan roaring and, and angry against the saints. But Lord, we have you. And he may be a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But Father, he's also a chained lion, a chained dragon, if you will, as we'll see when we get to chapter 20 and all that it entails, that Satan is chained. So, Lord, help us to understand, help us to know. I pray that we would live our lives before you because of these great truths. They encourage the saints of old so much. And then it seems like so many of the truths have been lost over the centuries. And then when the truths were regained, they really weren't regained in a way that was ever understood before. 
So we pray that you just help us, Father, to not take the book of Revelation and say it doesn't matter, we don't want to read it, we don't want to know anything about it, it's too hard to understand. Help us instead to see the broad themes and let God work out the details, and we would give you thanks. Now bless us as we partake in communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.